0: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
2: is this the real life or is this just a fictional reality hello everyone thank you for joining me again on another episode of fictional reality This week, I speak with Dr. Cameron Cliff, a immersive design, uh, experienced designer, a storyteller, a poet, an artiste, uh, and just a generally great guy who recently had his eyes lasered uh, when this episode was going on, hence why his his video is so dark. If you're listening on Spotify, you don't got to worry about it. But this week, I had a really excellent conversation with Cameron, Uh, He's a good friend of mine, as well as someone that I've worked with, and we've designed stuff together. And we really go nice and deep in how emotions and storytelling are connected, how storytelling and sort of interactivity and audience agency and control can really be uh, sort of worked together to facilitate emotional experiences. So when the audience feels like they have a sense of control, a sense of agency within the story that they are immersed in, then they will emotionally connect to the the content. Of course, you have to have a a strong storytelling basis underneath and the actors involved in the immersive theater that Cameron has created have to be able to sort of bounce off the audience members to facilitate this emotional engagement. But you can create change, you can create uh, really engaging immersive worlds that rely on an emotional connection to the work. So we go in deep to that. Uh, Cameron shares a lot of resources about A feminist approach to game design which i think is absolutely fascinating and i hope you enjoy let's get into it thank you
0: welcome cam thank you for being on uh, another episode of fictional reality uh for season two where we uh talk to experienced designers such as yourself about what experiences are how they're designed and uh, maybe some tips and tricks for what we can uh, take away there so thanks for coming on do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself thanks for
1: having me james uh it's Pretty fun to be here and to talk through all this sort of stuff. Um, My name's Cam. Uh, I officially have a doctorate in uh, experience design phases towards the business strategy side of it. Uh, And in particular, looking at stories online and how that blends with the real world. So uh, a decade ago, that was called transmedia storytelling, that buzzword died. Hmm. Uh, And I kind of moved on with it to focus on how do we get stories that transition between the online world and the real world or blend multiple modes of storytelling together. Mm. So I guess if I was to define an experience, I would define it something along the lines of uh, something that a person goes through that has been in some way designed for them with an outcome in mind.
0: Yeah. Right. Designed for them in what sense? Do you want to elaborate on maybe the scope of what that means?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I I wouldn't define, you can have an experience as defined by the user. Mm. So uh, everything that happens to us is an experience. The experiences go together to make up stories. I had my eyes lasered a week ago. (laughs) That was a moment of experiences that went together, uh, which might be the laser hitting my eye or me spending two days in a drug-fueled haze Mm. as I came to grips with the world again. But together they make up that story. Um, but in this kind of context, I would define the experience as something that someone puts together these series of moments, mm. which are designed to engineer some sort of outcome for a user that may or may not be determined by them.
0: Right. So there yeah, there's an intention behind the experience that the user goes through. That's, mm. I guess, um, makes a lot of sense. What, um, so you have some, um, some background, I guess, or some experience, some good experience creating theater that is like user-driven that's interactive that's immersive uh tell us a little bit about some of the shows you've created that you have directly used um your sort of doctorate and experience for
1: yeah i mean uh, so my day job just is in online learning at the moment and before that was in uh, kind of feature film world design and a a bit of online world design and to keep myself sane i did a lot of theater design because i found that was the most tactile and responsive way of making things, showing them to people and figuring out things as I made them. Uh, I think my favourite too that I've done was a show called You've Already Begun, which was actually I was a performer that was facilitated in that. We designed our own parts of a world Uh, and that was where people got led into this boat that I was in, this old uh, antique boat that's been beached in a museum Uh, and they kind of interacted with the ghost of this boy who was telling the story of becoming kind of agoraphobic and afraid of the outside world. Mm -hmm. And their role was to try and encourage him to interact with the outside world again. And that was very much a, I didn't design the story. There was an outcome that was desired from it, which was to get people to interact with his story. But when you went into it, there was just a series of jars and whatever jar that you picked up informed what part of the story you got told in what order, which Mm -hmm. then informed the type of narrative you ended up with. Um, The other one being, I think probably Dine Apocalypse, which was described as Jurassic Park meets Manus Island. So if you're listening to this outside of Australia, um, Manus Island is probably one of the greatest tragedies that Australia has engineered, where it's a place that we send a lot of um, people that are trying to come to Australia in need. And in that experience, they are given a number instead of a name, they are then subject to unknown time, often uh, above five years at the moment and just held there uh, with no kind of future. Um, They're not really looked after that well. And I have been involved in some VR experiences that we crafted based on uh, psychological notes and individual reports from people stuck there. And I wanted to create something that had kind of brought that home to people here without being like, oh, how terrible is our government for doing this thing? (laughs) Right. So, uh, because there's so many sides to the story. Like we had uh, thousands of people coming boats coming to Australia um, because there was this perception overseas that they could get a salvation, however that happened. And the government needed to do something about it. Unfortunately, they chose something that's been condemned by the United Nations uh, as their approach. But there Maybe are many sides that story. The, that.
0: <laughs> yeah, Maybe that. it they, would, they, but uh, is it ever a good idea?
1: Yeah, that they came with the approach of like, well, we'll just make it worse to go to Australia than to not. Yeah. Um, and it, it, to give both air to both sides of that story, because it, the thing that most people come up when they go, that's a horrible solution, is that at the time when they came up with that solution, no one was coming up with a better one in their eyes. No one was saying, well, we could do this instead. Yeah. Um, So I brought that to our shores and said like, what happens if dinosaurs were living underneath uh, an Australian city all the time? And then they came out and you were able to interact with them as people made up their decision of what to do with them. Yeah. Uh, And it was a choose your own adventure theater narrative. You rock up, you get assigned with a person to start with. And then from there, your decisions inform what parts of the narrative you experience um, and then at the end, you end up with a fixed ending. So the beginning and the end of the story were always the same, but what flavor that ending had, and actually some of the moments of the ending were informed by the choices of the audience. And how much,
0: if you can talk from the audience perspective, cause you, you can't have like an unending tree of possibilities. Like you have to somehow have a finite, um, order to how the show is ended Um, Can you elaborate a little bit on how it's user generated, but it's also how it sticks to your models so that um, you still maintain some control, but the audience also gets to feel like they are controlling the narrative. How did, how did you design that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for full clarity, I steal everything that I do. Um, (laughs) So like when I was overseas in New York for a, a few months, Um, I stole most of this stuff from you've already begun. And then she fell and these incredible immersive experiences that Mm -hmm. people have made over there and just kind of going to them again and again um, until I was destitute and (laughs) trying to understand how they made them. Mm. And the thing that I found about those was that it wasn't the kind of endless possibility of narrative, but the moments in which you were given to play with a a character that was complete, where the performer was able to flex around an audience member. Right. And then, was able to give more meaning to the A or B choice that you were given at the end. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the other part of that that I stole is from uh, this theory that I came across when I was doing my PhD um, from a couple of people. Um, Ivan Askwith is one of the main ones there. And he put forward his idea of perceived co-creation right, uh, rather than actual co-creation. <laughs> so the idea that, someone is that your contribution is making something with someone is just as powerful as if you are genuinely creating something with someone. Mm, right. Uh, so, so what was that most valuable to an audience member is not necessarily doing the thing, but feeling like they're doing the thing. Mm-hmm. And um,
0: I've, I've noticed that a lot um, when I was monitoring escape rooms and like one of the skills that you develop as a person who's giving someone hints is like, obviously, you know, the answer, they're struggling with the puzzle. They want a hint. And if you can hint them in a way that basically like that makes them feel like they've come up with the answer themselves, but really you've gone, do you have the padlock? Yes. And this puzzle, has it given you four numbers? Yes. What might you do? And they go, put the numbers in the padlock. And you know, you you just are sort of like handing it to them, but they're the ones that are sort of connecting the dots. They, they would then, they would take credit for that um, for figuring that out sort of thing. It's like, yeah, we got a hint, but I, I mean, I solved the puzzle. I figured out what to do. And it was like, it was presented to you in such a way that you, you know, you, you wouldn't be able to not figure it out. Um, but we found that was really important and subtle difference in language and how to present that idea to people would be the difference between them. Like they would not want to be given the answer, but they were happy to be given so much information that the answer was inevitable.
1: It's it's incredibly important to figure out. Uh, that's I think that's the fourth highest tier of audience engagement that asks with details in his work is mm-hmm. uh, mastery. So right. the, it's the second most powerful thing that you can do with someone, according to his research, um, is to give someone a feeling of, of, of mastery over something rather mm-hmm. than giving them a feeling of social connection, which would be the tier down from that.
0: Right. Uh, and and s-
1: depending upon... You know, individual people, they can be more powerful than the other. Some people are more driven by mastery than they are by social connection the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, but both of them then tie into the kind of pointy end of the pyramid of why I like things, which is <laughs> self-efficacy, which is what I'm being told affirms who I am and makes me feel stronger about myself as a human.
0: Wow. Okay. Which is a pretty powerful thing to play with when you're creating emotionally charged theater. That.
1: Mm. And dangerous you- as
0: well. Right, and you have to be careful because um, this is, uh, you, you've already begun. Sorry, what was the name of your show again? The um, In the Boat? You've Already Begun. Yeah, yeah. That so with that show, um, the things that I heard from people who went and saw it, I missed it, unfortunately, um, but that it was extremely emotionally resonant with them. And they came out not just like, oh yeah, it made me cry, but they were saying, I was weeping coming out of that. Like they were so connected to you. And that was in large part because you actually incorporated them into the narrative, or like you incorporated their reaction at least um, into the narrative that you were telling. is that right mm.
1: yeah that that one uh, I think probably had larger narrative design than the show with ten performers and lots of dinosaurs and makeup and and stuff um, mm. funnily enough <laughs> that the boat one I basically desired as a giant uh, so designed as a giant onion cake of potential story right. um, and dependent upon the person's ability and what they gave me in the moment uh, would be how deep we would go
0: Right,
1: because of the safety of the story. So if at one point there's a narrative about uh, both of his parents dying and being washed overboard. Now, if that person uh, had had a recent loss, they wouldn't be brought as deep into that narrative unless they asked to be brought there. Right. So. Uh, and there's also a lot of uh, kind of sound and light and things that I would play with which can be triggering to people with certain um, uh, certain difficulties. Mm. And so I would receive a report from the people in the pre-show area uh, by a text before the person came to my boat which had this person does or does not like to be touched mm. um, and this person consents to being touched or not being touched. This person uh, has experienced some difficulties with PTSD, anxiety, depression that they have disclosed and would like us to be aware of before the show right. um, the little things that were optional for people if they mm-hmm. wanted to. Um, mm-hmm. And they were given layers of story and books and, and notes while they waited mm-hmm. for the previous performance to finish. That so they, they, could they, they, f- they would have filled out a questionnaire prior to the show. Is that correct? Uh, almost a verbal questionnaire. We had a character in the waiting area uh-huh. who kind of made tea for everyone and sat them down and got them into the kind of like, Mindset in the spooky area and would kind of just surface questions for them and say hey We've heard like that people from the boat, which you're going to uh, Often come out with quite an emotional time. Is there anything you'd like us to make make the, the kind of spirits aware of? Interesting um, Which has a it was a, a dual. Oh, sorry you go No, no, I was gonna say that was a, a touch of Maya who designed the whole Experience um, that I found I would not have thought of uh, coming that much younger um and i'm really grateful that you put that in there
0: well yeah it's an interesting because it it has this twofold purpose And the one um the overt purpose is obviously the safety of, of the guests you don't want to trigger anyone you don't want anyone to um sort of go i i didn't plan it. i didn't want this i didn't expect it but also it seems to work as a bit of a primer as well and mm. can uh, i see it just from what you have telling me is something that would set me up to go Oh, okay. I'm about to go into something that's emotional. Um, you know, I could be interacted with in a physical way, which just starts to prep you to be able to do that. I guess when the time comes like, um, you know, just before you go into a haunted house and someone says, look, this is really scary. How do you feel about heights? You go, Oh shit. Okay. All right. Embrace myself for heights. Um, so when the time comes, you, you have this like experience that you have let yourself be ready to, um, go into I guess
1: mm, there's, a, there's a whole uh, a moment where if people chose really unluckily a certain selection of stories in the wrong order um, they could end up with a story that started with parents being killed uh, had a middle of contemplative suicide and then ended up with a, a like I don't know if I want to engage with the outside world story towards the end and it just like started off sad got worse and then kind of leveled out at depressing um <laughs> Did, uh, did
0: anyone, was anyone so unlucky?
1: I had two uh, <laughs> that peaked the most depressing uh, kind of timeline. Um, <laughs> and, and I had and little moments f- of brevity, you know, to ease it. Yeah, right. But, poor oh boy.
0: And look, from what I, from my experience in Shakespeare of all places, brevity actually can make that emotional impact and the punch even worse because you get these Swings and like if the whole thing is on a downer note, you can sort of prep. You can fortitude against that. But uh, if there's li- these nice little moments there, man, it can really it can be difficult in the sense that you go on this, you go literally on an emotional roller coaster.
1: Mm. And it, I had quite a risky part in there that everyone did, which was they gave me stimulus and I wrote them kind of poetry uh, and interacted with them and gave them bits of story while I was writing this poetry. Um, mm. To then sneak away and present to them towards the end right uh, and that i was able to modify them the... mm. yes yeah very much i wanted every bit of story that you chose incorporated something that you had given me um very demanding on the performer but really rewarding as well because you're constantly thinking ahead of okay i know these are the beats of the next narrative that they're going to experience. And it might be through the medium of um, CBT therapy with your eyes closed and modified storytelling, or it might be uh, poetry or it might be um, kind of physicality and getting them to give me bits and pieces. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of a way of describing it. That wasn't incredibly earthy and um, floral (laughs) because I'm not very good at kind of expressing that way. Um, But it was, it was very much about how do you give me pieces of you that I can then weave into this, kind of always narrative who um very peter pan can't grow up can't Mm. um, get past the part of their life that they keep repeating to make themselves feel okay with getting through each day
0: (laughs) and you stand uniquely in sort of my circles which is more in the puzzle experience and escape room world where emotional interaction or emotional experiences they're not um they're a difficult thing to get right Um, they involve actual like danger, much more so than physical danger um, because they vary so wildly from person to person. Um, But emotions are like when people recount experiences, it's, it's always the emotional experience that they've had, or there's an emotional element to it. And, you know, in the world of team building, um, you know, I've become been made aware that if you want to change behavior, than provide emotional experiences to people. like And there's no amount of bells and whistles or tech or anything that can replace an emotional experience. Um, how would one go about designing an emotional experience uh, with narrative? Mm.
1: Oh wow, that's an interesting question. Um- it, especially when you're looking at a designed experience rather than say you're looking at like a, a play or a um, more traditional narrative, like stealing from those pieces and adding it into this kind of world. Mm. I see it the most problematic in say learning design um, where you need to have a set series of outcomes for someone, uh, especially in the e-learning space of they must know these things and we must know that they know these things by the, by the time they finish mm. and getting them to care about it is such a battle because you only have a set amount of time and you only have a set medium with which to do it in, which is often slow internet, um, dodgy graphics. And how do you turn that into an emotional experience? Right. So I often fall back on a lot of the kind of like, okay, there's this idea that we experience our lives through stories, we, through the stories we tell ourselves and through the stories that are told to us. So in your, when you design your experience, what is the story that a person is going to be telling themselves and what is the story that they're going to be told mm, and how yeah. will those two come together? Um, I think the most important part for me is emotion happens between parts. So uh, this is idea of intermedia, which is from like the fifties, um, which is if you have one experience, like looking at a painting and you have another experience, which is reading a book and the two are not related or are related. doesn't matter. Mm. The, Emotional experience happens with both, but it happens at the most powerful in the space between. I read a book about this emotional story of someone's father passing away. And then I saw this beautiful painting of an old man. Uh, It's a really different experience to, I saw this beautiful painting of an old man. And then I started reading a story about uh, someone's father passing away.
0: Absolutely. Same narrative. Yeah. Yeah. And I was talking actually about this exact sort of thing with um, some escape room owners. And it reminds me of the birth of film editing, actually, and why film editing changed film and actually opened up the world of um, of taking photos, you know, twenty-five frames a second, and turn it into a storytelling narrative. Was because we invisibly to our to ourselves create narrative by just two two images, place them together, and we create a connection inside our own minds. And it's mm-hmm. that connection that we create that we. Love, like, that's the thing that makes us go. That was such a good story. It's like, it wasn't really a story, it was a picture. It was two pictures put next to each other. The story was something that you made by trying to make sense of those two pictures. Um, and I I love when I was made aware of this, we were shown a person's eyeball, and then the very next frame was a razor cutting a, um, like a ball or something like a cutting what was it cutting like you know maybe a piece of cheese or Mm. something it was just a razor cutting something but the two things you know it wasn't a razor cutting an eyeball but you you squeam because you have connected an eye with a razor cutting into something and you feel it you feel your body changes you have this physical change in your body um so it's incredibly powerful to be able to do that and yet it's not so it's not a difficult thing to actually do if you have the intention and the design there.
1: Um, mm, it's a yep. Hitchcock uh, experiment, the old man looking out a window and then whatever you intercut with it is how you perceive the old man is kindly or creepy. It's the same expression, but uh, if he's shown like a, a young lady dressing, then it shows him as kind of lecherous. And if you mm. show then uh, you know, a family playing in the yard, uh, it kind of shows him as like a kind of kindly grandfather figure, um, Interesting. depending on your own perception.
0: So there's a lot of power there, and it's it's not really using much technology. Um, the escape room owners and puzzle designers I've been speaking to recently, it seems the media is really trying to, you know, borrow from like Sleep No More and bring these immersive theater elements in. It's still in the beta stage. If I were to give an analogy of where I at least think escape room on mass is at, it's it's at the Sega level of. Mm-hmm of video games. Um and it, it has been or yeah, we're just moving away from the arcades in like the arcade games of like Pong and Donkey Kong and Frogger. And we're moving into Seeger. So it's a little bit more of a narrative base. Um but a lot of the owners are saying, you know, the people, the rooms that really blowing people away and experiences are ones that have a narrative. Uh and two where what you're doing in that narrative is in uh, what you're doing in the room is inspired by the narrative so that there's this there's this cohesive world that's happening which does remind me a, a lot of the experience that you're currently creating um do you want to tell us a little bit about that and how it is a it is immersive theater but there is a sort of interactive pu- almost puzzlish design element to it and how the the tactile element is meant to help uh, enhance the story
1: Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, we're currently designing this, or were pre-COVID and are still on and off throughout COVID, um, a show called Scrap, where we were looking at uh, how can you turn a pile of junk under an overpass into a kind of magical and wonderful experience that's about moving on from trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't want to know whatever else everyone talks about over beers, but that's what happens when I talk to my friends. Um,
0: <laughs> You're the lack of the party.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I've been lucky enough to be kind of co-designing it with this uh, roboticist and 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 incredible immersive theater maker, as well as an incredible circus performer and kind of a, a performance director, and I, who also happens to be doing a PhD in trauma. And between the three of us, we were like, okay, how can we create a space where once you sit down and the performance starts, there's still a proscenium arch there where people play with the junk and assemble it into different things you're given the ability to be invited in to help inform how they do that. Mm. So that by you know, offering advice at two or three points during the show, um, it changes the space that you end up with at the end, the hidden treasures that are in the space that you get to explore when it's done and potentially the ending of the narrative. Right. So the
0: creating that perceived um, perceived co-creation
1: mm. and it, it, the current design is only, uh, there's only three possible outcomes, three spaces, Sorry, six spaces, which are informed by... But three spaces with three flavours and then uh, three endings with three flavours. So uh, for the performers, they only have to remember like six different things, I think, because of the coalescence of that. Right. But for the audience, it'll be unique every time Um, because even if they end up with the same space and the same show, because of their input to it, it'll slightly differ. Right. And the stories they'll
0: create between the two... The, the changes that they make and they will link those changes together. You'll have an audience member who will see it at a different time than another one. And I'll have two vastly different stories or, or quite different stories. Is that right? Mm.
1: Yeah, that's completely right. Um, mm. And we, we tried to play with innocuous choices as well so that it's not as informed as like, should we go after the bad guy with the mustache? Um, right. It's you know more like uh, one, which we eventually scrapped for the, the Tom, one of the co-designers put together was, um, should I have like a, a bacon sandwich or a, some avocado on toast to begin with? Uh, and they're like, oh, we'll, we'll get some bacon here. So i walk off stage and then the sound of a pig being slaughtered and then they come back kind of horrified um, <laughs> yeah. and holding the bacon sandwiches. Oh. Um, which, which is... Did you, know, you watch Bandersnatch? No, I didn't in the end. Um, oh. But I've heard all the reviews. I've heard it's quite interesting like that. Yeah,
0: it, it puts these... It definitely gave me feelings uh when anna and i watched it and it i would be interested to see how it was made and i was reminded of you and your process and the things that you've created as i was watching it because there are these moments in there where you make a choice and then later on it, it something similar will happen you'll go oh i'll go down this seemingly innocuous path and then the next moment you're like oh ah, go oh no And then later on you get given a similar sort of choice and you're almost like scared from the time before where you're like, well, yeah, I see that there's a seemingly, there's two simple paths to go down here. But last time I chose a simple path, something really bad happened. And now I'm not so sure. It almost felt like that was designed in such a way that we didn't really have much choice because of the fear of, of being surprised and traumatized by.
1: Um, you scratch that idea. You scratch the ham sandwich idea. We did. I I love uh, horrific things as a way of exploring a medium, but I mm-hmm. often find that they cheapen a, a, the deeper parts that you can do with a narrative. Right. Um, it's kind of like in film school. Every every first year film student wants to put a horror together because it's the easiest one to do well um, right. for a low budget. You know, you, because with horror, you, the most horrific thing is not knowing what exactly has happened and filling it in with your brain, right? Um, which is very cheap to to not show. Mm-hmm. But when we, when you go further into it, I think that for the really slightly moving and deep and sorrowful moments, as well as the deep and happy moments and the, the moments that people come to with themselves and start attributing more meaning than you could even, you know, in Apocalypse, we had a lady um, scream, I'm a vet and try and run on stage and save one of the dinosaurs. Uh, and I had to t- crash tackle her off as a kind of a safety measure right. because she just was too into the narrative and couldn't believe what was going on um despite numerous people saying like it's just a play um they're not they're not real (laughs) dinosaurs (laughs) like it's a person in a mask and tights like (laughs) we didn't extract that fossil from amber like it's it's (laughs) (laughs) but it it, it's an interesting thing of that was not a that was not a horrific moment that was not a uh deeply kind of sad moment it was just a, a a a separation moment of when of wow. sorrow for a character trying to express what had happened to them. Mm. Um, and someone couldn't bear the grief that they themselves had obviously imparted on this. And I've learned to put more safety into my shows since then, because clearly that was unsafe for that person to get to that point. Right. Um, it's a big thing with VR design. I think it's probably the closest thing I can think of at the moment to what you're talking about with escape room design. Mm-hmm. Um, of the safety of a, of a person and the things that, that you can do to someone in a place where they hand you their, their decisions in their world for, you know, half an hour to an hour to however long.
0: Yeah. And we, we sort of go to these experiences, especially theater and movies. What we're paying for is to feel an emotion of some degree, whether it's awe or, or fear or like um, sadness or something. So we are already going into a place that's like, okay, do your thing to me now we've also become extremely numb to these things because we we can see through the the sort of the presentation and we can see, oh yeah this is hack writing or this acting is not good or you know the the editing is sloppy so it it is becoming increasingly difficult to trick ourselves into emoting or connecting with these emotional stories and so i can very much see how a medium of theater that's that is approaching this in a bit of a new way or in a way that people aren't so familiar with, they get surprised because they're already primed. They're already expecting to have an emotional experience, but then they're given this like, what they're expecting is just gonna be a morsel is an entire feast. And, and now you're in the opposite like, opposite problem that a lot of people would love to have, which is, wow, your, your audience is almost feeling too much and you have to put safety measures in place so that they don't feel so much, so that they only feel like a happy amount, even if it's sadness. <laughs> Or no. at least
1: to prepare, you know, like yeah. they have to be, if you're going to go into like issues of assault or suicide or those sorts of things, that's people, some people need and want to experience them and they can make incredible stories. Mm. You've got to, you got, you got to make people prepared for it. Um, you can't just drop that on someone who, and you, and again, it's that uses the user's story, they tell themselves, if it doesn't fit with their narrative and they're not ready to either exit or make that fit, mm. that's, I think that's poor design
0: absolutely and i mean it's poor in that you know if you've just reminded me of um who you know at some point on some film set in the 80s or something someone spiked the uh the catering table with lsd and like the story is no one enjoyed that like someone obviously was well-meaning and wanted everyone to you know go on a trip or whatever thought it'd be fun no no one had a good time like people were freaking out and You shoot yourself in the foot as an experienced designer if you think, oh, I'm going to make these people feel. And it's going to like, I'm going to pull the rug out from under them. It's going to shock them. And that's what I want my audience to feel. And no, you actually, you don't, people don't come away from that being like, I'm so glad that um, I was really shocked by that. They think, hey, I actually could have invested. I could have been open to it. I could have been well-primed. And ready to go on that journey had I known that I was going to be going on that sort of journey. Um, Just like, (laughs) hey, you know, if you're going to take someone on a trip and it's to the freaking snow, you're going to say, hey, I'm going to take you on a surprise trip, but you're going to need a jacket. They're going to love you even if they get cold. They're like, oh, I've got the jacket. But if you just take them out and say, hey, it's a surprise trip and you didn't let them wear a jacket, then they're not going to have a good time at all
1: or at least you know uh have two trips planned where there's a fork in the road and you can say do you want to put a jacket on now or not um, right and they might know the meaning of that and so either you go up the mountain and go skiing or you're down the mountain and, and go to a lovely restaurant or something um, mm. that's that's but, kind of exorbitant design you know design two experiences is the, is the answer no um but <laughs> it, it can be a really interesting kind of self-directed illusion of choice because both might actually be part of the end story but when you give them that choice they might think they made be the choice that impacted it
0: yeah right and i think uh, if you do see Bandersnatch, snatch i'll be interested to hear your take on it as an experienced designer of choose your own narratives for how they do that and how you think there's this feeling of like oh, i was on the track the whole time but i had the illusion that i was pulling the lever to go on these different ones i think i was just on the one track but you've brought up something that's really interesting that I think plays into like creating an emotional experience for people is this idea of like ambiguous choice where, you know, it's like, do I um, do I call and break up with my girlfriend? Like, you know, there's the situation the character is faced with, you know, ending a relationship and uh, you're given the yes or no. I feel like there's more power when there's this great ambiguity and you know, one of them is, it's like, I know this is an important decision, but it's ambiguous. Just like, hey, we're gonna go on a trip. Do you wear a coat or do you not? And it's like, oh, that's, I don't know whether it's gonna be good to wear the coat or not good to wear the coat. Shit. Uh, uh, they don't really have much stake in, in the choice. Like they don't know which part they're gonna choose. They just, they have this choice here. I feel like that is more emotionally engaging when you don't know the outcome when you make the decision and when it is presented as an ambiguous, uh, direction. Do you, Mm. is that a factor when you've been creating these immersive shows that the the choices are not too on the
1: nose or it's, it's a tricky one because, um, it depends on the type of audience that you're designing for, for when that choice is most impactful. Um, so there will be someone if you, if you bring the choice earlier, so the less informed the choice is, but the more impact it might have um, then it's harder for people to correlate choice to outcome and to right. see I made that happen. Um, mm-hmm. But if you make it too late, then the choice becomes really obvious. You know, you get, you kind of get halfway through a game and and the choice you're presented is like, do I kill all the innocent people or do I let them free? Because you know, they're innocent. Um, right. Less right. impact. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what becomes really interesting is if if that earlier choice happens and someone is informed, then they feel superior if they're the right kind of audience. So, uh, with Dino, we had like someone would come for the second night and they'd be like, wait, 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 I know what happens if I choose that route now in this choice. So I'm going to choose the other thing, or I'm going to choose that so that I can game the narrative. Um, and we, but we would always have a flag in that we go, this is the second time someone has come. So Mm -hmm. even if they make the same choices, they'll get a different experience. Oh, um,
0: cool.
1: Cool. So responsive design, I think is really interesting as well there for replayability. And so that, you know, if someone does a, a escape room twice, you can say, oh, well, we've got someone that's already done it before. And you change the locks around. Mm. Um, not much, just enough to kind of uh, play with that pre ordained narrative, because then that person's mastery tick, that little part of their brain that's telling them I'm really good at this is satisfied that they are good enough to change the experience. And then is satisfied again by being challenged by a higher level of mastery. Yeah, right. Um, right. It's Sort of like, like roguelike design? Roguelike? So roguelikes are games where you die and you, your character dies and all your progress is lost, but you learn more about the world, so you go again. Um, right. And so by dying over and over again, you gain more experience uh, mm. of what might, you might need to do to survive or might, more items or more things. Um, kind of stealing from that area.
0: Yeah, right. And video game design is, it's set the model, it's set the standard for these immersive real world experiences now that we're creating, which has been a common theme in the episodes I've recorded recently, which is how fascinating it is that these things are happening after the video game revolution. And it was almost like we needed, we needed TV or we needed this like separation medium where there's this fourth wall to as, as audiences and as sort of People being entertained we needed to be walked into this idea that we are the protagonist in a story because the technology of immersive theater and of escape rooms and puzzle adventures and and the you know what you've been designing it's been around before video games but they never existed like no one was no one was ha- no one had immersive theater prior to a video game which is which is fascinating
1: um, but well, it... oh sorry there you go <laughs> um, they, they actually kind of did um but not in the way that we've designed. So they weren't actively designed, I guess. Mm. So that like, you look back in like 1600s um, in Comedia de Latte. Um, I probably butchered that. But they would have little pre-narratives that they would send uh, in wooden carvings to villages before the comedians rocked up that told stories of what was to come. And then the way the audience interacted with them would then inform the story that they were told on stage. And it was oh, very really? like people throwing shit at each other and like the the, the, the theater of the people has has had moments of this and pantomime has been around for forever right um but i don't think we've had an active design language until video games gave us the like make a room in a box yeah kind right. of, like.
0: <laughs> and set up a world for the for the viewer as well a very like you are here doing this thing um as mm. opposed to the random audience spectator who may or may not throw a tomato which may or may not influence how the show is going it's like you are going to influence it. In fact, you're actually going to be the prime mover of the narrative now. Um, mm. And oftentimes, we find in escape rooms, anyone like younger audiences who have never done them before seem to um, understand what's going on much better than older audiences. Uh, just because they go, there are rules here, and I'm going to play. with I'm going to find out what those rules are and then play within them, and then they they do quite well. Whereas adults are just. Yeah, older people just they, they don't understand that they're what is and what isn't a part of the rule system then. Um mm. this is all super fascinating and I haven't gone into so much depth about actually like the emotional journey um that mm. you can send people on, especially with their consent. Um if someone was out there to want want to make experience design, a design experiences that involve like an emotional component specifically, uh do you have mm. any advice for people looking to do that? And Maybe where they should start and some things to look out for
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, first thing I would do is raid punch drunk's youtube channel They have these like behind the scenes videos of how they've designed a lot of those experiences. Um, Especially the lost lending library gave me a lot of inspiration for found things in design spaces Oh, and Um,
0: just the lost lending library is a beautiful Concept and beautifully delivered. Can you just go just give people watching and listening to this a quick rundown if they don't know of what it is It's worth spending a minute on Mm. Um,
1: And then uh, Definitely that like the there's the game design textbook. I have it here the art of game design um, On my desk and I just (laughs) refer to that all the time for because I love reading a passage from that and then reading a passage from um, a bunch of script books whatever it might be, because there's so many out there Mm. Um, and comparing the two approaches for what we're trying to get out of people. Um, (laughs) And there's, there's this um, if you're you're looking at cross media design in particular, so combining online experiences or pre and post experiences for things, Mm -hmm. there's a free PDF you can download from a guy called Robert Pratton, which is called the beginner's guide to transmedia storytelling.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, And it has, it's just full of diagrams. He is just packed full all of these different ideas for how you design engaging experiences across the web and mixed with online video or physical things. Um, He's part of a community that have like the why so serious guys are in uh, who know, no mimes media again, jump on no mimes media's website and play their game if it's still live Mm. because they couldn't explain what they did to people. So they made a 10 minute um, (laughs) augmented reality game, not augmented reality in the way that we know it now, but ARG in the traditional sense of mm. an offline adventure that you play or that is connects that connects like pieces on websites and things in the real world. Um, yeah.
0: Something I would generously like to coin as a fictional reality. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think that's a, yeah. What is the, what is the extra fabricated layer that you put on top of the real world to create that fictional reality game? Um, mm. I think that and is a the, missing
0: bit. Of- those are the guys that did the, um, yeah, the campaign for the Dark Knight is that right when it came out?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Those are the guys that baked um, cell phones into cakes and sold them out of <laughs> out of stores, which then gave you a code which you could put into a website to then unlock some of the Dark Knights, kind of or, or the Joker's, depending on which way you went. Or Harvey Dent's campaign and like they got over a million people around the world playing. They're insane. Um, so cool. Yeah, and then I think the emotion and the narrative. Uh, component of it, I learnt most of that by looking at people like Bree Code uh, and the way that they rethought of game design. Right. Um, I cannot stress enough the importance of a of an equal or a feminist approach to narrative in games, and looking at games beyond fight or flight into the deeper research that those kinds of people have brought forward of tend or befriend. Um, Christy mm-hmm. Dean is another one that I would shout out there they're great people to look up like they've got tons of youtube stuff tons of seminars they put online um that you can listen to while you work and piece them together
0: it's very cool in this yeah i guess i want to say this modern day but it's a bit of a facetious term but it's very cool to look at um to look at this more like feminine approach which is is about collaboration which is about working together with other people and awesome to see that there's people out there backing this up with like with science and it's like this this isn't just a feeling this is a real thing but we respond emotionally to collaborative cooperative environments and when you put someone in those places and you can subvert it and play with it you have an engaged experience that's otherwise you just have things like call of duty or shooter ups you know and yeah it's fight or flight but you, the only emotion you have is being the not the winner or not the one who shoots whereas yeah, there's no like no one's in call of duty being like ken the, my character died and i'm so emotionally connected to the character of ken and
1: and if they are it's because they're like role playing with friends or they're doing it in a tender friend way you know that the, yeah. the, i think at the other end of a giant amount of bro culture and testosterone comes a giant amount of like a collective and collaborative culture where it's like oh my homie's dead we will come back for you
2: can
0: cool and and, uh those are some great i've written all these down so they'll be in the um in the links below in the show notes if you're interested in following any of this stuff up uh heaps of free resources out there do your research what are so this is actually some can be dangerous territory if misused and misabused what are some um things to maybe some what, what i can't think of the word all i can think of is cooperative it's not the right word um caution what are some cautionary steps people can take um when developing emotional experiences
1: Mm. Uh, i think the, the the number one thing is to like don't be afraid to go into deep dark places but always do it in a safe way where your audience is informed so if you're just constantly asking the question is my audience informed of the worst way that this could go um then you'll do it in a safe way In particular, if you're dealing with um, mental health or suicide or um, Mm -hmm. domestic and family violence situations, then allow people to opt in for informed consent. So if you're going to design a narrative that goes there, these are important stories that need to be told. If no one's talking about these things, they don't come to the light and we don't move forward with them as a society. We don't improve in the way that we deal with them. Mm. Um, But yeah, you can design a beautiful experience that doesn't need to be... A triggering experience, and if it mm. does need to be a triggering experience for certain people, or an experience which puts them at risk, then just allow them to give you informed consent. Yeah. Um, if you have a blanket sheet at the beginning of an experience, uh, particularly the people that go to multiple, that says, "Would you like to tell us uh, about any of the following?" Then they won't actually be able to know what's going to be in the narrative because it makes it more formalized, and so then you're informed to be able to pull them aside if you need to, uh, in a person-to-person, or in an online space or they're they're able to then have a triggered warning come up and say, yeah, this this does include it.
0: Absolutely. You don't want to trick anyone. You don't want to pull out the rug from anyone. And if they're informed and can make that decision um, as someone who feels like they have enough information, then they're going to engage even if they are challenged and pushed into that um, area of discomfort, they are going to have an like potentially a transformative experience. Whereas in the other way they, they shut off from the material and you might even do more,
1: more damage than good. And, uh, yeah, nobody wants that at all. Hmm. Now you're playing with, you're playing with people's emotions in the end. That's what emotional design is. Mm. It's, you know, you, you're designing for a, a certain uh, impact and outcome for people. So you just got to be wary of that and you're in charge. So you, you have to take ownership of that.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, that's an, I think an important question. It raises an important question. If you're designing an emotional experience or you want You know, you want to give that experience to people of someone having like a, oh my God, you know, this is really, what a sad story or, you know, what a beautiful story or something. It can be interesting from the very early stages. Why are you doing that? To what end do you want to change this person's emotional state? Other than, you know, other than, wow, that person was a genius. Like, what is the reason for wanting to have someone have emotional experience about a story of suicide? Is it for them to learn? Is it to spread awareness? Is it to tell someone's story um, and have that be retold? I think that's a really important question to answer at the
1: beginning. Mm, I think that's, the, that's, that's always the things we need to ask ourselves as creators, right? Why am I making this? Mm, yeah. And just make sure it's not to boost your
0: own ego because that can be dangerous uh, and be ultimately unfulfilling. Well, Cameron, thank you so much. I just want to say in this lighting and with that jacket, you remind me of a... Um, a uh, a resistance uh fighter from Star Wars. <laughs> need, like the helmet with the red visor. It, you... mm,
1: yeah. <laughs> there
0: we go. He's gonna fly under the Death Star, everybody. <laughs> Save the day.
1: Thank you, James. Uh, thanks for putting up for me with, with having no vision after my laser treatments. So uh
0: look it's uh, super intense and you got lasers beamed into your eyes, so it's uh, it's made you look. I will admit it. Yeah, a little bit like a darkened Sith Lord sitting in his basement. But you uh, you've come out as this really like lovely, caring, uh, emotional experience designer with a lot of wisdom and uh, and some great ideas there. So no, thank you for coming on, man. It's it. I have been using this podcast, you know, to talk about this and um, spread this for whoever is interested. But it also teaches me like heaps. So uh, it's fascinating to take all of these things into consideration when it comes to designing a story. So that's lovely. Is there anything that you would like to plug um, or send people who may be watching or listening this to um, outside of the links in the bio?
1: No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm honestly, i spend spent most of my life in corporate at the moment uh, when the show is ready for scrap, I'll, I'll plug the hell out of it. But at the moment I think you need to go deep down the rabbit hole of the puzzle maker. Cause I learn a lot from James as well. Um <laughs> So I'll give you a plug instead because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm deep, knee deep in corporate, uh, I wouldn't say filth, but, uh, wading through it at the moment. Margaret, yeah. So
0: You're doing good work out there, spreading, spreading some, uh, spreading your skills as a doctor of storytelling to, uh, the corporate <laughs> world where they need it in this climate. So thank you so much. Um, like I said, uh, just check those links in the bio for all of those resources about game design and user experience design. Uh, cause adding an emotional element is, it's going to just change your your design, your puzzle design from good to amazing if you can pull it off. And people will not forget it if they are attached to the narrative and the story. So thanks once again, Cam. And uh, we'll catch you next time.
2: All right, everyone. Thank you. There we have our episode with Cameron Cliff. If you enjoyed anything that we talked about in that episode, specifically uh, Cliffhanger Creative, go check out his website. Uh, keep an eye on him. But also more importantly, we have links in the bio for some really great stuff on the feminist approach to gaming, which I think is a fascinating look at how we can restructure storytelling, how we can restructure gameplay to incorporate a little bit more of a feminine or a bit more of a collaborative nature. Now, games like Animal Crossing and you know The Sims and world building and games that involve us to sort of nurture and take care of our environment where we're rewarded, these feelings actually elicit uh, stronger emotions sometimes than anger or aggression or combat or winning. They are more about succeeding and these skills that they're gonna help develop in players uh, and when you see this gameplay enacted in front of you, they help you have an understanding of the world where when you collaborate and when you care and when you work with people and that is your goal is to Um, de-escalate combat in ways that are going to work for both parties you actually can build something together and this is an approach to gameplay and narrative and experience design that I'm really excited at looking at so go and check out those um the stuff the links in the bio there if you haven't already remember to like subscribe leave us a review tell your friends uh we'll see you next time thank you very much